Well, today we are concluding a three-part mini-series, a vision series that we've been calling The Future is Bright, as we've been looking at key biblical texts that have really shaped who we are as a church down the years. So a couple weeks back, we looked at Jeremiah chapter 29. It's this incredible place in the scriptures where God's people are being taken into exile, into Babylon, uh, this people group that was just, man, all historical accounts, let alone biblical records and the rest of it, just show to be just a, a, a not very good group. Uh, and yet in that time, in that space, God said to his people, as you're going into exile, I want you to seek the good and the peace of that city. I want you to pray for it because as you do it, you too will prosper. And so we talked about what that means for us here in the Silicon Valley, <laughs> you know, a place that's not ancient Babylon by any stretch of measure or imagination, and yet somehow we can functionally speaking act as if, live as if we're in exile. Oh man, I can't stand this place for this reason, that reason. I can't wait to move away or oh, I just need to... And yet God calls us to, like he did the people in, in, in that place and time, here to be a life and, and loving conduit of, of his love. We're to seek the good of the Silicon Valley. We're to seek the good of the Bay Area because God loves the Silicon Valley. He loves his people here. And guess what? You and I are a big part of his plan to bring that light and love to this place. And then last week we looked at Mark chapter 8, really this pivotal turning point in the book of Mark. And it's about this, this time when Jesus asked this critical of all questions, when he, when he posed before his disciples, what about you? Who do you say I am? And finally in this moment, Mark chapter 8, we finally get there. Peter, it, it clicks for him. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And it's, it's there that it finally all just kind of registers for Peter. And we talked about the importance of how long it actually took for it to get to that place. I mean, really, by, by all accounts, from what we can tell, it was about two to two and a half years before the disciples finally understood that Jesus was Messiah, Son of God, like to, to that level. And in the meantime, in those two to two and a half years leading up to that moment, Jesus wasn't held up by that. He's hanging out with them, you know, including them in the miracles and all the work, and even sending them out to tell people about the love of God, the good news of the kingdom of God, before that moment when it finally clicked. So we talked about how as a church, as a, as a, as a, as a posture and culture that we want to cultivate here, we, we don't want to do, which sadly a lot of American churches uh, fall into, is, and that's a, a posture or sequence of behave, believe, become. You know, get your act together, especially the way we see it, and then adopt our doctrines, and then we'll teach you the secret handshake. You're, you're a part of us, right? Instead, we want to model what Jesus models, and that is be a posture, a culture of belong, believe, become. And this whole idea of we're all on the spiritual journey together, you're welcome wherever you're at in that space. If you're checking out the claims of Christ, trying to figure it out, you are welcome here. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, you are welcome here. We're all on this journey of belong, believe, become, and we want to have that culture as a part of our church, as, as, as part of our makeup here at Current. Well, today, we come to what I like to think of as the granddaddy of all the texts that have really shaped who we are. In fact, the text that we're looking at today is, is I think, the only one I mentioned at every welcome lunch. That's how central it is 
to who we are and what we're trying to be about. We're going to be looking at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there now. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. And if you don't even want to look at the screen, it's only two verses, so it'll all register, okay? It's all, it's all going to be there. But we're looking at John 13, 34 and 35. If there's any text that really talks about who we are and what we're trying to be about, it's this one. Meaning if you came today, and this is your first time or one of your first few times, you, you picked a great day to come. And if you've, you came today and you've been here with us, the few of you, since the living room or in the span in between, it's been a while since we've talked about this formally. We need to refresh. We need to remind ourselves what we believe God has us uh, about in this place, in this time as a church. So John 13 verses 34 and 35 say this. Uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this is our vision. We're going to be looking at our call from this text, the impact of it, and the power to carry it out. So the call, the impact, the power. But first, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you've been doing in the life of the church. Uh, and what today really kind of embodies is, as we celebrate two, maybe more baptisms, what an exciting day. Thank you for Sunmi. Thank you for Wilson. Thank you for their stories. Thank you for your story in theirs and how it really is just a picture of what we're actually even talking about today as we either come back to you or come to you for the first time or are trying to grow in you. Father, we pray that you would give each of us your spirit to learn from, from your word that you have in front of us. And would you help us as a church be the embodiment of who you call us to be in this place, here in the Silicon Valley, in this time in history. Thank you for all that you've been doing. We look forward to what, what you have in store in the years to come. Uh, please bless this time as we have it together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, we're going to be looking at the call, the impact, the power. So first, let's consider the call. A new command I give you, love one another. Okay, what's, what's the call here? A new command I give you, love one another. Let's set the context, okay? So we're, here we are in John chapter 13, and it's at this point that Jesus is really on the eve of going to the cross, okay? Uh, this is what a lot of Bible scholars call the farewell discourse. This is what a lot of Bible scholars call the upper room discourse, okay? The upper room discourse because it was held in an upper room. Uh, the farewell discourse because Jesus was getting ready to leave. He's getting ready to go to the cross, uh, rise again on the third day, and ultimately go back into heaven. So this, these are his last words. It's, it's a farewell. And so therefore, these words are extra meaningful, right? These are, these are the extra meaningful last few words of John, uh, excuse me, of, of, of Jesus in the book of John. And it's worth noting that the book of John is about ch uh, 21 chapters. Here we are in chapter 13. Well, chapters 13 through 17 are essentially this one section of just a few hours' time, if that of Jesus talking very intimately with his disciples. And here's how he starts it off with these words. A new command or commandment I give you, love one another. Now, how is that new? Some of you might be wondering, isn't love in the Bible, you know, even before Jesus? Isn't that, how is he adding anything new there? And if you're thinking along those lines, in a way you'd be right. It's love isn't a new concept in the scriptures. In fact, this starts to get into, more broadly speaking, our vision here at Current. Jesus was once asked when he was out just kind of doing ministry by a religious leader, a scholar, uh, a, a question that he was in a way trying to size Jesus up, see, check out his credibility. He asked this question of Jesus. He said, 
what is the greatest commandment? Now, there are a lot of commandments in the Old Testament scriptures. It's not just the 10 on the stones, right? There's a lot of commandments recorded in the scriptures that help us understand what God wants of us, how he, how he designed us to, to live and what he wants us to be about. There's, there's many, there's too many to like kind of reference off. And so here was Jesus being asked this pretty critical question. Now, we have it preserved as a, as a story of how he responded, but I could only imagine being there that day when this question was posed to Jesus. I mean, not only was he a, a, a wildly respected scholar at that point, or rabbi in that day, but he was the son of God, he is the son of God. He's, he's, he's literally described in other places as, in Greek, the logos, the, the word of God. He's the embodiment of the word. And so here is Jesus, son of God, word of God, answering this question, what is the greatest commandment? Could you imagine being there without knowing the story, just like how that was going to play out? He said, here's the most important commandment. Hear, O Israel. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he said, the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And he concludes, there is no greater commandment than these, which is in a sense to say, if you live out these thoroughly, fully, perfectly, you're living out all the commandments. If you love God and you love your neighbor, you've, you've covered it all. And this is really our vision at the high level at current. We want to love God. That's first and foremost. That's the main thing we want to be about is loving God. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. This is all because of him. This is all for him. Uh, he made us. He loves us. He cares for us. And so, therefore, we ought to put him first. And, you know, we like to teach our, our little ones that uh, the world doesn't revolve around them. You know, you try to have to help a, a pouting child. Hey, the world doesn't revolve around you. It's going to be okay. You know, like have this, this bigger perspective than just yourself. But the fact of the matter is we also need that lesson as adults, right? That the world doesn't revolve around us. The world revolves around God. Actually, that doesn't even capture it. I mean, the universe doesn't even revolve around him. He's beyond it. He's so much above it. It's all because of him. It's all for him. Therefore, we're called to love the Lord our God first. And so on Sunday mornings, this is all about, first and foremost, bringing him glory, him praise, saying thank you to him. So we worship him with our minds as we think about who he is, his character, and what he's done. We sing the lyrics and we think about them. We, we worship him with our minds, but we also worship him with our souls. That's to say, in, in, in real shorthand here, we, we yearn for him. We, we groan for him, and then we worship him with our strength. That's to say we worship him with action and deed as well. So all of you ops teams, uh, you know, here setting up in the morning, you guys are already starting off worship before we even get here and have our, like, more formal gathering. And then we worship him with our hearts. And this one, I think, takes a little bit more understanding because in our English, we tend to think of, hey, if we love someone with our heart, it's kind of like the lovey-dovey sense, like we just need to, you know, throw these like warm fuzzies towards God. That's not what it's talking about. When it talks about in the ancient Hebrew that we are loving with our heart, that means they say the heart is the seat of our affections. It's what, it's what we treasure most. We adore, we put first in our lives. We make that our ultimate aim and purpose. And so all of us in some way, form, or fashion, we put certain things there. It could be wonderful things like career, loved ones, you name it, health, could be bad things, destructive things, but whatever we just adore most, that's where our hearts are. And so when we worship the Lord with our hearts, we're saying, no, God, we put you first, or at least that's our aim, that's what we want to do. We worship you with our hearts. 
That's the first and greatest commandment. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love God. The second one, he says, love your neighbor. Oh, do we need this right now as a society? Wouldn't you say? I mean, here we are living in times that are just, everybody's fighting. Everybody's just bickering. And it's just like we're looking for whatever mud we can sling at one another. But Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, we could use that right now. Well, Christian friends, we're called to lead out in that. When Jesus was asked who our neighbor is, uh, you know, this person was trying to say, you know, it's just the person who lives next to me because then I could just focus on that. Jesus replied in a story by saying, no, no, it's everybody who comes along your path. But the punchline of that story is called the good uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the spiritual story about loving our neighbor. The punchline of that story is love those, serve those whom you even disagree with. Don't see eye to eye with, maybe even find as your personal enemy. Love them. In fact, the gospel takes it a step further. If Jesus did that for us, it means we ought to not just love, we should love to the point of laying down our lives for those who see things differently. Boy, do we need that in our world right now. Christian friends, we're called to live out, lead out in that. So we need to love God. We need to love our neighbor. And then Jesus here in John chapter 13, starting verse 34, gives us this wonderful new command, which also can be uh, translated into English commandment, love one another. It's a new commandment. How is it new? Well, this marked the moment that Jesus was getting ready to leave the disciples. He was getting ready to leave his followers. And as he was getting ready to go to the cross and then be raised on the third day and ultimately go into heaven and entrust this ministry unto them, he was saying, I am now forming a new community in you. This was the start, you could say, of the church. These words. He is forming in this moment a new community saying, love one another. The church, we like to say, capital C church, is all people throughout all time and culture and history who have put their faith in Jesus for what he has done for them on the cross. That is the capital C church, you may say. But the expression of that is in the lowercase c church. That's what we're doing here today. As we gather, we are, we are an embodiment of, of the church. We're a local expression of the church, and we're called to do this, love one another. So those are the three great commandments, or you could say the three great loves. Love God, love your neighbor, Love one another. We're going to break down this love one another because that's obviously the, the, the main thing here in this text that we're looking at today. Uh, that's the call, to love one another. Here's the impact. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, this really gets to the core of who we are and what we're trying to be about. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Uh, we've been saying we've got to love God. We're called to love our neighbor. Well, if there's any way we can do that to the utmost, it's telling people about Jesus. Because first of all, that's the greatest expression of God's love for us. If we're going to love him, we're going to lean into the greatest expression of love that he's given to us. But if we're also going to love our neighbor, it means we're going to tell them about the love of Jesus. Meaning if we're only as a church meeting tangible needs in the community, meeting needs, serving people, caring for people, meeting tangible needs, but not meeting the spiritual need, namely pointing them to Jesus, are we then loving? The answer to that is not to the fullest extent, not by a long shot. We are called to love God, love our neighbors by loving them, by pointing them to Jesus. And so that's a big part. But here's the question 
Here's the big question we've got to wrestle with. How do we do that in a place like the Bay Area or the Silicon Valley that at best is probably ambivalent towards Christianity or maybe at worst a little hostile towards Christianity? How do, how do we go about doing that? Uh, probably comes as no surprise to everyone here that the Bay Area, the Silicon Valley, is known for being the most unchurched and dechurched part of the U.S., Social scientists say this is the most unchurched and de-churched part of the U.S. De-churched meaning people who had gone to church and either for six months or a year haven't been back in that time. Meaning we are in the area of the U.S. that has people leaving the church in greater numbers than ever before and wanting people, uh, people not wanting to come to church in greater numbers than ever before. Uh, probably doesn't surprise anybody. In fact, within about a 10-mile square, square radius from where we are right now, there's about 4 to 6% of the general population that attends a gospel-believing church. 4 to 6%. I've been a part of churches where missionaries have gotten up on stage saying, hey, you got to send me to this part of the world because it's only 10% Christian. Send me. It's like, and here we are, like 4 6%, right? Meaning, this is a mission field, so to speak, if you, if you think about it with that framework. And what are the main reasons people are rejecting Christianity here? The top three reasons are hypocrisy in the church, self-righteousness in the church, and judgmentalism in the church. Hypocrisy, self-righteousness, and judgmentalism in the church. But the problem is, if people are rejecting that, they're rejecting Christianity for all the wrong reasons. It's tragic. At the same time, it's also our opportunity. Because when people do reject Christianity for hypocrisy, judgmentalism, self-righteousness, they join the company of Jesus himself. Just take judgmentalism for a second. Even if you didn't go, grow up in the church or reading the Bible, chances are you know that he famously taught, do not judge. And yet the church is known for being judgmental in America? Or take hypocrisy. All of chapter 23 of Matthew's account is Jesus, no joke, throwing down like playground style, like just getting into it with the religious leaders. You brood of vipers, he says, more than once. You hypocrites. You are laying on people loads that you yourselves aren't carrying. The gospel is, Jesus not only said, don't judge, but he took our judgment for us. How dare we stand judging others? If we truly understand what the gospel is, and if that's also true, where's the room for hypocrisy saying, do this and we'll do this? No, the, the church ought to lead out and be saying, hey, we, we got this all messed up. We're not going to get it right. In fact, we're going to be hypocritical from time to time because... We all need Jesus. We should be leading out and saying, we need Jesus. So while it's tragic, it's also our opportunity. People are rejecting Christianity for reasons of Christians, but we get to tell them about Christ. And that's really our opportunity. And that's really what we want to lean into here is to get out of the way and point to Jesus. To break down barriers to Jesus. And perhaps the most effective way to do that is through what we like to call gospel-centered community. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Think about that. If you have a neighbor, if you have a friend, if you have a coworker that you just really want to learn about Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, the most effective way to do that is probably not finding a soapbox to preach at them. The most effective way is probably not trying to get in a debate so you could argue with them. Perhaps the most effective way is to bring them into 
Christian community so that they can taste and see the love of Christ for themselves. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what we want to be about here. It's funny, uh, ever since the earliest days, we've had people, including my neighbor, this is I think the first person who said this to me, who would come into activities or groups or events or church gatherings like this one, and afterwards say something that really confounded me for the longest time. My neighbor said it this way, he said, oh my goodness, I never realized Christians were so normal. <laughs> and when I first heard that, I was like, I don't think that's what we're going for. I don't. I mean, it's nice not to be weird and all that, but I don't, that's not what we're going for. But then a few people said this, and I remember just kind of thinking about it, because it's just on my mind. And I realized, you know what? In a way, it's probably, I think it, it's actually exactly what we're going for. Why is that? Not because we're trying to convince people that Christians aren't weirdos. Not that we're trying to convince Christian, you know, people that Christians are cool or with it or making a difference even. But we're trying to help people understand the beauty and attractiveness of the love of God through Jesus. And if at the subconscious level, they were doing what Jesus was saying they would do, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, then that's exactly what we want to be about. And you know what's awesome is that's a lot of fun to get to do and to think about the impact of that. We are celebrating two stories today that that's their story, or at least a good part of it. People coming back to the faith, putting their faith in the Lord because God chose to use you, current family, church family, community, as you are doing the best you can to love and care and not get it all right, but try again and look to God's help and forgiveness. And that's a big part of what we're celebrating today, which is about eternity. It's just incredible to think about that. That's the call. Uh, that's the, the impact. And here's the power. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Here's what we've been saying. One of the most impactful ways to help those around you, Christian friend, to experience, receive the love of Christ is through Christian communities, through loving one another. That's one of the most impactful ways that we can do that. But here's the measure Jesus gives us in order to do that. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, love like I love. Well, how did Jesus love? <laughs> it's like, where do we start? Sometimes from time to time, I'll bring up a topic and be like, oh, okay, we can't cover that. That's a whole other sermon. Sometimes I'm like, that's a whole other sermon series. Well, this thought, considering how Jesus loved, that's, that's the rest of our church life, okay? You can't break this down as we're thinking about how to love like Jesus loved. We can't talk about all the ways. I mean, it's just, there's too many ways. So where, how can we understand this text? Well, let's just limit ourselves to John chapter 13. How's that, right? We're in chapter 13. How did Jesus embody love for these disciples? Check out how the chapter starts. Verse 1 says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. How did he do this? Right after that statement, the Son of God, Savior of the world, the one whom we're going to be surrounding for all eternity with the heavenly host of angels praising and worshiping. This one got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of his disciples. What? You think about the humility there. You think about the selflessness there. As it literally says, he realized the hour had come upon him. He's literally going to the cross. And what does he do? He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash my disciples' feet. And we all know the obvious. Back then, feet were nasty. Not that that's like really a big point here, but you, 
But whose feet did he wash? I mean, you should read, I don't have time to go through all of it. It's not the sermon, but read through John 13, the first part later today. For starters, he washed Judas's feet, the one who would betray him. And it's not like Jesus was caught unawares by that. At one point, it literally says he's moved to the spirit in understanding that Judas was about to betray him. And yet he washed Judas's feet. Let me ask you, who's the hardest person, who's the hardest type of person in your life to love? You know, personal enemy? Somebody who's just out to get you, just makes life miserable for you, maybe intentionally so. Well, what about the one who betrays you? I mean, I think we could argue that that's perhaps the hardest type of person to love. I mean, it makes the knife all that much sharper when it goes into your back because you let them into your life, opened up your life, and then it, it didn't work out. Like, that is painful, and yet Jesus loved him as he was going to betray him under the cross. Who else did he wash the feet of? You know what Peter's response right after this new commandment that Jesus gives? You know what Peter's response was? Here Jesus literally is giving a new commandment, okay? It's like a monumental time in history. Here's a new commandment, love one another. The church is being formed and Peter goes, wow, this is amazing. Break this down for us. This is incredible, this new commandment. No. <laughs> Peter goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, are, what, what's this about you leaving us? Wait, you, you're leaving us? This is a farewell? Address? Like, wait, what? <laughs> Jesus had dropped the third great commandment, and Peter is just right over his head. And he goes on to say in these very next moments, still in the same chapter, very famously, Peter, I, I got to tell you something. You're going to deny me three times. Jesus washed his feet, cared for him, loved him, was patient with him, gave him this wonderful commandment. He washed the feet of someone who betrayed him. He washed the feet of someone who would deny him. And he washed the feet of all the rest who would abandon him. By the way, in a few hours' time, if that, in his greatest hour of need. He was there for them all the time, in selfless of all ways, and yet in his hour of need, they peaced out. And Jesus loved them. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Let's be real. One side of this coin is it's very challenging. To love like Jesus loves? That's how we need to love? That's the measure? How are we going to do that? How are we going to be that selfless? How are we going to cast our interests aside, which is all of that means? The answer is we're not. <laughs> it's, it is impossible. Even as we're called to do it, it's impossible. But here's the power to do it. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Do it because I have done this for you. You want to know the secret to growing as a Christian? This is David's humble thought, okay? I'll just throw it out there. It seems to me that the secret, or not secret, it's, it's known, but the main thing to grow as a Christian is not to read the Bible, not to pray. These things aid in what I'm getting ready to say. The main thing we can do is grow in our understanding of the love of Christ and what he's done for us, specifically on the cross. We grow in our understanding of who we are and how we fall short of that and how his love goes all the deeper, meets us there. Because as we do that, we can begin to offer that increasingly to those around us. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. The Apostle John would go on later to write to a church in 1 John. He said, we love because Christ first loved us. As I have loved you, Jesus said, so you must love one another. And so, current family, when you mess up, when I mess up, 
we remember that Christ loved us. And he died for us to forgive us. And that's part of the beauty, by the way, of loving one another is when we don't get it right. In some ways, that's some of the most beautiful things that people find attractive when they're in Christian community, at least trying to do this imperfectly as it is, because that's not the standard out there. We're called to forgive, love, try, extend grace. It's challenging. If you've grown up with siblings or close cousins, you know this. Loving, loving one another can be really challenging in like a family-type environment. Even for those of you who have families that kind of made it through all of that and still are together, like you know it's really, it can be really challenging even as it's beautiful and it can be really bonding and all that sort of thing. We're called to love one another. It is extremely challenging. That's one end of the coin. But the other thing is it's incredibly wonderful to love one another. Loving one another, as Jesus calls to, is, is incredibly challenging, and yet it's incredibly amazing. It's wonderful. And in fact, it's also fun. I mean, are you kidding me? We get to love one another and not only experience the benefits of loving one another and what that means for us as we extend that to each other and receive that, but it also goes towards God helping make the love of Christ known through us. Sign me up. And you know, as I look around this room and I, and I think about who God has brought together as a church family here at Current, I can think of no other community I'd love to do this with. It's been such a fun ride. We get to love one another and God says he will help people draw the connections that we are his disciples. That sounds pretty cool. Guys, this is our vision. And by God's grace, this is what he's doing here through us, for us, as we love one another and make Jesus known. Uh, that's our call. That's, our, that's, our, uh, that's the impact we hope to see. That's the power in order to do it. Uh, this is what we're trying to be about at Current. If you're checking things out, I hope that resonates with you and you can ask more questions or whatever. If you've been around, hey, let's lean into this all the more. This is the vision, by the way, behind Pub Trivia. Some of you guys probably came and like, these guys are talking about Pub Trivia. This church doing Pub Trivia. That's kind of weird. You're probably just think, registering it as an event. No, this is central to our vision. Pub Trivia. Can you think about that? Pub Trivia is a very central event, I mean, of, of many, that embodies our vision. How's that? Pub trivia is not just about us getting together and having fun, which, by the way, if you come, you're going to have fun. It's a blast. Can't wait to do this in person again, too. It's going to be awesome. But pub trivia isn't for we here. If, if you come and you have a blast, aside from what I'm getting ready to say, that's also a win, okay? But it's mostly for our coworkers, our neighbors, people who maybe it'd be a little bit harder to invite out to church. Maybe you're waiting till Easter to invite to church. Or whatever. I mean, hopefully any given Sunday, we're trying to make current a place where that's, that's possible and that's something you'd be thinking about. But you get the point. But, but can I invite them to pub trivia? Well, we hope you can invite them to pub trivia. Hey, you should come out to a pub trivia that my church is hosting in, in, a, in a little bit, you know, this weekend. Pub trivia? Your church is doing pub trivia? Yeah, why not? I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, let me check my schedule. I don't know. We're not going to be preachy. At Pub Trivia, that's not the point. We're going we're gonna to say that we're, we're a church, and we're going to invite them out. We're going to say, hey, we're a community following Jesus together, and you're welcome wherever you're at spiritually. Come join the, the family. It's not going to be preachy. It's just going to be, hey, we're trying to get together and have 
conversations together and get to know each other in community so that by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. At Pub Trivia, it's like, pinch me. How is this like, that's fun and the gospel. <laughs> so we encourage you to think about that. Come on out. At this time, I want to show a video of Wilson's testimony. In fact, the kids are going to come in. Uh, the upper elementary class, our treehouse. Hey, is there coming in? Can we give these guys a little hand? I, we love these guys. Hey, guys. Come on in. They're going to come in and watch the, uh, the testimony here, and then they're going to get a front row seat to the baptism. Chris, when he leads the next worship set, he's going to help them. He's going to help us, like, let them get a front row seat, right, as we go out there, which I'm going to do here in a moment. Hey, guys, welcome. Uh, so uh, that's